This episode is with spiritual teacher and author on consciousness and loving, Richard Moss. Richard has dedicated his life to loving love with a capital L, and in this episode, receive the invitation to connect with the wildness of the soul, the part that wants to dance with love and die into love. He shares about experiencing life challenges as the deeper opportunity of our lives to love, the experience of intimacy, how relationships are a way to accelerate loving love, embodiment as a beginning and endless journey, planting a tree in fear and sitting there until there's shelter, and that there are no guarantees of security or identity in life, even if we borrow it from the past or future. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. This episode is supported by the monthly group call that provides embodied healing and spiritual support. In each call, you'll receive loving, support in moving through your emotions, tuning into your intuition, developing your empowerment and body wisdom, as well as clearing limiting beliefs through your entire being and looking at any ancestral pieces that may be inherited. Each group is limited to four people to keep it in a small group, and the call happens typically once a month on Sunday, the second Sunday or Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. Central. You can find this at my Patreon page at CandiceWu.com slash Patreon. It's really with great honor that I introduce Richard Moss today. I admired his work as soon as I saw it when I saw him speaking on YouTube. And as I looked at his website and his books, I already felt a transmission of energy, this sense of living life through the soul through the heart, and viewing all of our experiences with a loving presence, with witness, this very embodied way to be, while also seeing the spiritual development of our consciousness in everything. You might even hear it in this conversation that at some point we talk about why is this called the Embodied Podcast, and something in me happened where the energy and the conversation of what we'd already been talking about It just kind of ruffled up my whole being. And you'll hear what I say. And I'm not sure that I would say that on any other day, but here it is. And what wanted to come through, I trust. But I felt so much of a warmth in me and a shift into being as a more fluid experience and shifting out of this uh, mentality of production or this outcome of life that my ego, my mind wants things to be, which has been a life journey. So it's not this profound moment that just happened here, but it was another level of that and uh, shedding another layer of that ego drive that can push me at times and moving into more loving. 
1977, Richard was a practicing physician in the ER when he experienced a spontaneous state of illumination. And he describes this as this moment where he sensed that all he could give this patient was love. I love this story and also appreciate how he experiences this as an ongoing journey, not just this moment of awakening, but something that he's been deepening in for years and years. Richard's work is about catalyzing you to live as fully and creatively as you were born to live. And his goal is that you don't just follow his or her work, but that you learn to become your own teacher. And I love that. That's everything of what the Embody podcast is about. So I hope that you enjoy this episode with Richard. And I give him a very warm welcome here. Without further ado, here's Richard. Well, I'm very excited to have you here today, Richard. It's uh, such an honor. I My first interaction or connection with your work was actually seeing you on YouTube. And the first sentence I heard, I was just like, oh. And you had said something at a peace convention or conversation about there's really nothing that we can't be grateful for. And it was so much about how you said it and the energy you brought to that, the presence Mm -hmm. you brought to that moment that really spoke to me. So I want to welcome you here to the show today. Thank you, Candice. Thank you very much. I'm always, it's always an honor and it's so in alignment with my life to speak with someone who wants to help others, for all of us, and help others really understand the opportunity of our, our deeper nature and potential, and to share with that and to inspire, to share about that and to inspire that is the whole purpose of my life. That's so beautiful. And I, I feel that too, <laughs> although you say it more eloquently than I do. <laughs> but um, I also have read a little bit about, or maybe heard more from you about love, choosing to love love. Is uh, exactly, yeah. Can you say more about that now and where you are in, on your journey? You're right. I mean, it's where I am at my journey now, and I can look back at my life and see how, quite literally, love was calling me, and that I understood that it only partially at each time the call was so clear and profound. And by love, in that sense, I don't mean. Um, or I mean a good deal more than, but I, I certainly do mean the love that you know, we can learn to share with another person, the personal love, the love in particular that I've created now for well, 30 plus, 30 something years with my stepson. And um, that love that we know um, with people that we're deeply, f- deeply connected to, but there was a different love, a much deeper love, I'll call it a a capital L lover. And it was calling to me in an emergency room. I was an ER doc a long time ago now because I left medicine a long time ago. But mm-hmm. um, but it was a very important training, a very important grounding, and a particular use of the mind and a particular vision of what we are. But I was in the emergency room, and, and very briefly all that happened was I was about to sedate a man for observation who had been quite violent. He was actually, uh, there was a policeman there. 
And just as I was about to sedate him, this voice in my head, which was not a thought type of voice, it just said, you have nothing to share with this man except love. Now, put this in perspective. I think I was 28 years old. And, mm. and what I did was I handed this syringe, I was going to inject this man with it back to the nurse. And I just said to him, I'm going to just put my hands on you um, the way I would want to be touched if I was in tremendous pain and fear. And I just put one hand at the very top of his head, just a kind of the, the way you would touch a child's head and a baby's head, uh, just to comfort them, just to, to create that, 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 to renew that ever always connection. Mm. And, um, and the other hand was just softly over his belly, and I got just blindingly hot. And I had I had been in a meditation group, and I had met a teacher that had shown me how to sense energy. So it was not like it was completely foreign to put my hands that way. But it was the voice that said, you have nothing to share with this man that loved it, except for bringing my hands near him. And just, I'm telling you, just hardly touching him, just the softest touch, and this heat, this tremendous heat. And the man went completely to sleep. The nurse sat down on a chair. The room got so hot that the security guard actually went to open a window and then he sat down in a chair. <laughs> and and I just was transfixed in a level of energy I never knew existed before. It was just pure love. And because I don't know what else to call it. And and then it was over after, I would say that that, you know, things always seem longer in memory, but certainly a minute or two, I just stood there, which was bizarre. I mean, I, I, I even, there was a part of my mind that was saying, oh my God, these, this nurse must think I'm gone nuts. I mean, she's knew me for a few years, but <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so it was, that was one of the first times I was called and I was called many other times to that love that is really literally the backbone of the universe is what Walt Whitman calls it. I mean, the mystic poets and the mystics and the, the great spiritual sages all talk about the very essence of creation is love. And if you want to attribute something we know as a, an embodied feeling to the absolute unknowable mystery of God, then probably love is what brings us as close to source and God as anything can. And we all taste it in our personal love. We all taste it in our relationships. But that calling of love finally became the realization that it wasn't about loving another person. It was about loving love with, with others and loving love with my wife, Catherine, is very different than saying, I'm in love with you. Do you love me? It's, mm -hmm. we have an, we have a deep understanding, both of us through very different paths that, and she would have said it was, it was obeying and celebrating. It was listening to and celebrating the higher self with another. But she too has joined me in the language of loving, love itself. And the other one of the other ways that I was called to this love was back in the early '90s when I found a beautiful piece of artisan paper that was embossed with a series of concentric circles and around the outside or across it, 
in French. Mm-hmm. It was in French, and I was with a good friend who's also, at this point, I was many years into being a consciousness or spiritual, if we want to call it that, teacher, which means a constant student of everything. And then he, so he translated for me, and the words were from St. Bernard, and Bernard, and it goes like this Who loves, loves love. And loving love forms a circle so complete, there is no end to love. And so in the 90s, that became a mantra. Mm-hmm. The emergency room situation happened maybe in 1975, early 76. And those are just examples of what... So loving love is like having a third consciousness because you and I are speaking. We're, in a, we're, we're relating. We're in a relationship that's dedicated to much the same thing that is bringing the opportunity, the incredible invitation of deepening in consciousness and deepening in heart and embodying heart. And I'd love to know why you ended up calling this the Embodied Podcast. That, to me, is really, really significant. And and so that became a mantra, that St. Bernard quote, that's been 26, 27 years with me. And then in the last number of years, I began to realize that it was truly about loving love, not about mm. being loved or loving someone else, which is all important and essential and fundamental as well. But that kind of love can come or go, especially personal love. You know, you can love someone and then hate them if they don't love you when transactional love is there. You know, maybe mm. there's, yeah. I think for the vast majority of, of us, there's no transaction between us and our children vast majority it's it just is love but for most of us you know you love someone and then they stop behaving the way you want them to and you start having to deal with your own inner stuff and project it on them and vice versa and pretty soon we're in conflict and pretty soon we're telling ourselves the stories that destroy that love and it's gone and it's replaced by indifference or defensiveness or anger or even hate which is so so Mm -hmm. sad and so so basic to unawakened human consciousness. So that's what I mean by loving love. It's, 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 it's a third consciousness. It's mediating between Kathy and myself. It's watching, it's listening. It's, it's, very, it's not just an abstraction for me. It's a living, a living presence. It's hmm. beautiful. I really feel connected to that loop from that that mm-hmm. quote of loving love and i feel i feel that experience of what you're speaking to that there's this third living breathing witness to the experience of of relating and the consciousness that we each are who we are in it and seeing it from that place it it holds everything feels like it holds everything it does, and and that doesn't mean that it's easy. It does not mean that um, all of the work, all of the work that we must actually, we have to learn to do this, and then we have to become passionate about practicing it. But all of the work to understand how we poison love, 
um, with our thinking, with our disembodied abstractions, our beliefs, our belief systems, our judgments, our unprocessed pain from the past and wounding from childhood um, of various degrees, and what we've inherited from our ancestral lineage and then what ultimately all of us are bathing in in terms of enormous collective patterns such as the dominance of patriarchy in the world for thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of years and what that's meant to men in terms of their identity and how they are even how they're blinded or very limited in their ability to, to perceive women women the feminine in themselves and certainly outside in others and vice versa because patriarchy also has a a very limiting narrowing effect on how women see themselves believe in themselves and behave mm-hmm. and we're breaking free now there's a wildness of the soul that's coming forth now and, and it's liberating us from that but it's a hard hard work daily moment by moment often yeah i think you're really touching on exactly why this is called the embody podcast it's all of those aspects that you mentioned ancestry our beliefs that have been if one believes it, you know, through many lives or what we came in with, what we have started to think about through our whole experience, especially from childhood, all the judgments, all of that living in the body. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we come to presence now and align with presence now, but give a, a rooted healing to those parts that are coming up and um, with patriarchy, with the collective ideas and beliefs, to talk about them is one thing, but I have found that it doesn't quite shift what's actually happening when we do relate at unconscious levels and conscious until it gets to the level of the body and the heart in this human body, in this form. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just such a beautiful Mm -hmm. gift to be able to have this body to be in, to let it all transform and experience what's really here now. Yes. Yes, you know, and what's so fascinating, which is just coming to be a number of different things that as I listened to just came into consciousness. One is that as we get older, and I'm 72, um, and I just was on holiday with my wife and visited one of my dearest friends. He's been a mentor for me. He and his wife, although she passed, she passed in five and a half years ago, for relationship mm-hmm. in particular. The, the profound richness of what they explored has been such an influence on me. And he's 88. Uh, or just about 88, and his name's Jack Zimmerman. And people can find him, his book, Flesh and Spirit, and then he wrote a memoir about the last years of the exploration with his wife. Now he's currently writing a book about the relationship these five and a half years since she passed uh, and how vital and alive and profound their third consciousness has grown even after the transition. And... So that came into my mind that the body, as it ages, and I already do experience this, it becomes more and more sensitive. 
and it becomes wiser and wiser to to really what is essential. It, we know that and we feel it. The skin gets literally the skin gets thinner. The the defenses, the, the armor goes down, and since we can't use the body as so many people do, so many people use the body. I won't. In a way, I would say sometimes it's escape, but it's also the portal. It's just a portal into flow. It's a portal into, you know, through surfing and swimming and running and rock climbing, which was a big one for me, and mountaineering, and also a big one when I was younger. Um, the body, the sports, out in nature, really getting someplace through your own effort and learning to go deeper and deeper into determination and effort and the adventure of a living like that in your body. And I never got very good at surfing, just not enough time to do it. But rock climbing, I did mm -hmm. did learn profoundly more and more deep into the body. Um, and I ran for many years and um, just to stay fit in between my travels and so forth. And some of that was escape. Some of that and I think for many, many people, that kind of routine of exercise is not only at one level healthy, but at another level, it's what they use to tone their emotional body. And then if and as such, if you were suddenly to become ill or disabled, or like in my case, where a disc went bad, and uh, and I had years of pain, and then eventually had to have a hip replaced, and eventually had to have some back surgery. And in those periods of time, if you were dependent on being in nature the way you were, being active in the way you knew how to be, you could really have a tremendous opportunity to accelerate in consciousness because you would have to deal with the emotions that were being sedated uh, consciously or unconsciously through the the physical activity, through the because we are a culture now, and I live in Boulder, Colorado, which has got to be one of the world's apexes for super athletes. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a level of fitness in this town. When I go to the, to the gym, oh my goodness, compared to what I saw on the beach in Hawaii recently. So it's a, it's, <laughs> though, though that was the one thing I saw on the beach in Hawaii, you know, and, and people who really have neglected their bodies. And at the same time, going by at a zillion miles an hour, people swimming preparing for the you know the triathlete contests like the Ironman which takes place in Hawaii so I think maybe the most famous of the Ironman things my wife in fact did a half Ironman when she was 50 and um, which is nine years ago and and that's pretty remarkable um, wow so these are the two things that came up for me which is embodiment is going toward love but it, we always, always have to visit fear. There's always fear there in everyone. And until we make the determination that we're not going to sedate fear with exercise or alcohol or any other way, oh, I mean, there's a time for escape. There's a time for relaxing with a drink. There's a time for everything like that. But there are times when you just have to learn to go to the place of fear, which always comes up in a relationship, always. And plant a tree there and sit mm. down for as long as it takes till the tree grows and you begin to have a place of shelter in the midst of these very, very deep fears because we don't, we don't leave behind patriarchy without a, a profound change of identity. We don't leave behind the wounds of childhood. And I'm sure you could speak about this just as well as I could, whether it's 
you know, because some of us had wonderful childhood, but still there's always an inherited trauma, an ancestral trauma, a lack of real mirroring, an inability of our parents who are already formed in their own personality and psychological structure. And that coming into the ego is not coming into the me that we, we become as we go from birth or conception to, I guess the ego is solidly in place by six, seven, eight years old for most people. Uh, and then it's going to continue to differentiate and differentiate and differentiate. And most of us get lost in our heads and we forget the body. Mm-hmm. We forget to feel, we forget to listen with our hearts in our bodies moment by moment. And then, then we don't have any foundation in, in anything that we really know. It's, we don't have a foundation in what's really true. And that's part of the challenge with what's going on politically now. With you know, It's not that Trump, President Trump, is, is new. It's like he's an exaggeration in such a high office of the challenge to embodied wisdom and the challenge even to reason. So oof, those are the things that got stimulated in me. Tell me something. Oof. You know, you for you, what does embodiment mean? It means to experience all of what is here in this present moment and what, what comes from inside and out. And that, as you said, we must visit fear. It's to experience all the different emotions that are coming up, all of uh, the thoughts and sensations and images that come up, and to see and sort out what's what's um, an incomplete movement or experience from the past. Oh, well put. Well put. Incomplete. Yeah. Incomplete. That's and, well put. Right. And to allow it to be here now because it's wanting completion. And so that fear of a trauma in the past or what's still stuck in so many places of patriarchy as it lives in us, as it lives in society and in each individual, it's all, it's all that opportunity to look at and feel through what's been incomplete. And I, I find that when it completes, we, that is a process of loving to allow the completion to be with it, to sit with it. And then we also arrive back at love because what was before the trauma or the hurt or the wound was a desire for love or connection or presence that got disrupted by something else, Mm. but gives us the opportunity to love both. Exactly. (laughs) What was underneath and what came to be. And so, yeah, I find embodiment is being with all of that and allowing that sorting process of what is not me, what is ego, what is something that just was created meaning from an experience that just didn't get complete. Okay, yeah, very clear. Yeah, and what is what is the presence of my being without that? What's underneath that? What is the more... Um, the full experience of my being, which I believe is love. Yes. Oh, (laughs) 
Um, oh, some indigenous native people, when they hear something spoken, truth spoken, heart truth spoken, they go, oh, oh I, yes, used to, right. I used to lead sweat lodges, <laughs> many, many, many sweat lodges years ago. And um, though I never, I never trained with native Americans. I, I sweated with one Piute medicine man many times. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't ever try to pretend that I was Native American. My sweat lodges were rituals of grounding in the body, grounding in the heart. Um, and we'd say things like, ho, oh, and when I'm in a circle with people, as I so often am, small circles or larger circles, and, um, I don't necessarily ask people to say ho, oh, but in my mind sometimes I'm going ho. Oh. So, mm-hmm. and, and just that we acknowledge each other, that we, that we really hear something that spoke to us. With, and just to let someone know when you hear that. And two things came up when you were speaking. In particular, the word complete. And I agree with you. I, th- I think when we really dive into certain kinds of experiences that we've lived but didn't let come to completion, or we left, let's say, a residue of, of anger or dissatisfaction or unhappiness, um, there is a moment... There, there is a work where you go back in and look and begin to look through different eyes, look through a different depth of consciousness, look through your heart, put your ears in your heart, your eyes in your heart, your memory to be relived at the level of the heart. Again, the heart is a metaphor. It's certainly not what a cardiologist is thinking about. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or a thoracic surgeon, you know, cardiosurgeon, they're, they're, the heart's not a metaphor for them. Though I think the great the great physicians and the great doctors and physicists, physician means energy, life force energy. So, you know, the word doctor is, uh, I don't know, that its origins mm. take us really into what physis means, which, which you know, to be a physician. The great physicians are also poetic. They're also mystic. Um, they also have heart. Mm. So, so complete is relative. Some things do get complete. But the journey to know ourselves is a beginningless and endless journey. And, you know, each stage of completion is just the portal to a next opportunity, the next invitation, I should say, to the wildness of the soul, to, to something, I don't mean acting out wild, you know, like the wild child image. I mean, like the wildness of the soul that, that wants to dance with love and is willing to risk hurt and fear and mistakes and abandonment. And as one part gets complete, it gets complete because of a, a process of forgiveness, which means that you you see through new eyes and therefore the past becomes renewed. It becomes forgiven. And it's endless. Forgiveness is truly, truly endless. Uh, and mm. not one thing at all, but a, a grace, a virtue and it's not, you know, you never go to school and learn about forgiveness because it, it's not a curriculum. It, it, everyone can learn it, but it has to be transmitted. The things you can learn that can be tra- and, and be can given to you at school are all for the left brain. They're not for the heart, for the mm. things of the heart, mm-hmm. like forgiveness and trust and humility and compassion and, and love. They have to be transmitted by people as we live deeper and deeper. And each stage of life brings different capacities, different opportunities. So it's an ongoing thing. It's Yeah. It's not, I appreciate it's that. Endless. It's wonderful. 
I, I love the beginningless aspect too mm-hmm. and endless. And it, it gives me the feeling, you know, we've been so trained to the left brain. We've been so trained to the mind and conditioned to see our lives through that pathway. And that is that linear path of here's where we begin and this is where we want to end up. And this just opens it up completely, the beginningless and endless it touches on the feeling that I had when I was an art teacher, mm. that this is our unfolding artwork of our lives. That is who we are. And where would the, the beginning or end be? There isn't one. And this transmission you're speaking of also flows in line with that feeling of it can go in any direction and it's in any moment. And uh, as you're speaking to this, Richard, I'm wondering, what's the opening that you're having now in your life? What's the opportunity at this moment or the struggle or the piece of deepening that you're, that is emerging for you? Oh, wow. Well, very practical, I mean, very concrete things. I do, we all do at some level, don't realize how much we imagine a future and then borrow a sense of security from that future. And right now in my life, um, something's happened that's taken what I thought was a padding of financial security, for example, specifically, Mm. and it's gone. And with that, anything that I imagined that would mean. And... Mm. What was so what's so amazing is that I understand that the part of me that would not have been ready for that without all these years and years and years of learning to come to this moment, this beginning, and not borrow identity and security from the future. So it's very challenging because it's caused us to have to make very important decisions about where to live, sell a house, and the house we're in was the family home for. My wife, for the past 11 years, she raised her three children and she took over the parenting time of her ex-husband and raised his three children. She, by herself, single-handedly, for every two weeks of the month, had six children and the rest of the time, her three children. And and this this is their family home. And so now we're, we're, we've had this house on the market recently. And for, for, mm. for, for Kathy, it's... It's wave after wave of letting go and surrendering and giving away attachment to the memories, not the reverence and the deliciousness of the memories. And and for me, it's watching her struggle with that. For me, it's recognizing that what I thought was going to be a buffer for security that would take me into old age, we're 13 years apart in age, and would give her something to rest in. Um, that that disappeared literally from one day to the next. The whole imagined future went away, and and it's okay. It's it's actually give us it's, it's like an acceleration mm. in our loving of love with each other, of our landing in third consciousness with with each other, the third consciousness of our relationship, which is consecrated to love, love, which is you know that third is listening to us. It's teaching me more and more about her. It's teaching her about me. And as we listen to that, to that that intelligence of love, which is not a left brain form of uh, rational, linear, conceptual intelligence at all, but 
deeper and deeper moments of knowing and self-surrender. You know, we reach times where we're looking at the practicalities and then forget the deeper vision and mission and of our lives, and the the adjustment to things like that, the the moving. Or here, they've done so much to prepare for a move, um, and mm. the decisions we're having to make now that are are a radical change from what we thought we'd have to live just even a few months ago. And it was from one day to the next. It was just a bad investment that someone did. And, and, um, but it was, you know, that's where our vulnerability is now. Fortunately, she's healthy. I'm healthy, but you never know, you know, whatever imagined future, any of us are, unconsciously borrowing security from or a sense of continuity of identity in many ways death can take it loss can take it illness can take it uh, financial ruin can take it uh, and mm -hmm. so we do have to learn to really rest into source in ourselves to feel the ground of of our being which is not just personal, but it is more. It's transpersonal and personal simultaneously. And the living in the world and being not of the world, as the Sufis say, to live in the world be, but not be of it, is not a di dichotomy or a splitting. or It's not the old break between spirit and flesh, between um, personal and, and you know, secular and religious. They're actually in indivisible. At the beginning of ourselves, mm -hmm. which is always this present moment in our bodies, aware, aware, those two fundamental things that are divided so profoundly in human consciousness, almost, almost the way that the, the brain is divided between the presencing right brain and the representing through words and concepts left brain, um, and the heart as a metaphor for knowing through our whole being, in the body, very much inseparable from the, the language then of, of, if we use modern metaphors, the right brain, the heart, the body, that's 95% of our intelligence. What we can Twitter and write on Facebook and write in books, other than poetic books or you know deep philosophical prose, or what we can do in music, which is so much the language of heart and mind ever can be profoundly we are in a time of of bridging of having to bridge we must bridge between these these seemingly irreconcilable dichotomies and so that is the edge of where i am now to to know death is going to come we all know that intellectually but to to die into love in this moment to just give away an identity from one moment to next, um, mm. and and a, a sense of hope and a and a fantasy of who you are and how you live that that was there for me and for her and it's just gone and it's you know no one's particular business how it happened it's just simply gone and mm -hmm. that I, I don't want to say it's wonderful but I would not have I would not be deepening as rapidly into heart and loving love without that sudden surprise. And of course, it, I, you know, living that 
it also makes me see how much climate change, the warming of our climate, the poisoning of our soil and air and waters, the, with all the diseases that are now you know, escalating tremendously, cancers, more and more of it, and more and more rare forms of it, even though our ability to treat cancer in some ways is improving, we're not winning the war on cancer because we to do that, we have to clean up our environment and our environment's just getting more polluted with global warming. We are in a, way, a sense living in an imaginary future and um, that global warming and climate change and, and pollution is going to take away from not you and me, but all of us as, as it has already taken life away from literally more creatures have become extinct in the last hundred years than it ever before happened in history. I think this is called mm -hmm. the sixth great extinction. Only six previous times, and those except for the big asteroid 66 million years ago, those other extinctions took tens of millions of years. They, they, now it's happening in hundreds of years and decades. So we are robbing the future without realizing it to protect the economic identities, not just of the wealthy. Everyone lives in some form of many, many layers of identity, and um, none of which is real, none of which is going to sustain us as we age or when these profound surprises come. Like, you know, everybody, we think we understand what this is happening every day. Think about the refugees. Think about suddenly mm -hmm. from having to think about the people with the courage to get out of um, Honduras and places that where there's such criminality and violence that they fear for their lives, they fear for their families, their children, and then they they come to this country with hope, but they can't get in, you know, because mm -hmm. and it's not just our government or its particular policies or one political party or this president that makes that difficult. It's all of us because we're not creating a, a global identity. We're not creating a society that can integrate people who it's not easy for them to be integrated. It's not easy for us to integrate them. And yet, if you love love, what else is there to do? And when someone says something stupid, like one of our, I think it was our Secretary of State that said, well, if, if there's global warming, then people will move. It's ridiculous. Sure, if you could afford to move, you'll move. But then mm -hmm. people that can afford mm -hmm. to move will move to the places that everyone needs to be. And those places will get so expensive that only the wealthy could be there too. I mean, it's so stupid. And you think of something like Chernobyl. Think about how, what really happened in Chernobyl was not just that a nuclear reactor broke down. It was that people stood on a bridge watching it happen, and every one of them died, children and mothers and fathers, thinking the light was beautiful, the light show was beautiful, and that the snow of radioactive ash was like benign snow. And the rest of them that were further away, but still within a dangerous zone, they, they had a knock on their door, military people, and they had to pack a bag in five minutes and walk out of their lives, and they never went back. Mm -hmm. The future was taken. So you were talking much earlier about what happens when we start to clear the past. But when we clear the past, when we start to heal the past and forgive the past, we have to understand that 
by landing in our hearts, we're creating a new future. And that future needs to be translated into behavior. And it needs to be translated into not being dependency, not having dependency on what we imagine will be the future, but creating a present moment that truly is obedient to nature. We are the first creatures that we know of on this planet and perhaps in the universe with the capacity to consciously love love. But our science is not about dominating nature, which of course it has been about, not true science, but applied science technologies at any level forever, have always been about control and dominance. We are now though capable with our science of understanding the enormous, immeasurable intricacy of nature and starting to consciously be obedient to nature. And if we don't do that, nature will just slap us as if we were a flea and it wouldn't make a, it doesn't care. You know, this planet Earth will continue in some form for billions of years with life on it. Mm -hmm. And we're at incredible turning point that everything we've done to make ourselves secure, I know I'm talking a long, a long thing now, but this is what, you know, I've known this before, but suddenly my future was taken away at a financial level. And, the, mm-hmm. and, and, and then just like that, from one day to the next, and not my future to earn money, though I'm 72 and, you know, maybe I have another 10 or 15 years of being able to share deeply with people and there'd be some remuneration for that. But what I saved, what I saved, what I gradually saved over yeah. over a lifetime is gone. And that's amazing. Mm. Amazing. And, <laughs> and, and it's not a tragedy, not in the least. It's just the most amazing acceleration. Does that mean I haven't had apprehension? Very, very little. I've had very, very little fear. What tires me out is is all the things that that change requires then doing day to day, moment by moment. Very that's that can get really tiring. Uh, it's move, wow. moving and organizing for moves and things like that are are, yeah. are stressful. So there you go. Wow. I really appreciate you sharing this and it's really refreshing <laughs> when you said it's amazing. Even though everything you've been saying has been about this deepening in your journey, deepening in love, mm-hmm. and this opportunity of of what you thought would be there, the security you thought would be there, and how you're receiving that as this grand experience, uh, not grand, but very deep experience and opportunity to surrender in. Oh yeah, one level, it's really it sucks to be. To, yeah. to, to use a, a kind of colloquialism, but at another level, the, the level at which it sucks is really trivial, <laughs> and and the level in which the the door is opening to love, love is even more so. But there is no security. It's it's much you know the the teaching the Buddhist teaching of impermanence is so easy to roll off the tongue, but it there is only impermanence. And whatever mm-hmm. transitory security we have by borrowing from a savings account or the notion that I'm healthy or I eat well or, you know, I do all the right things or, you know, 
Yes, the only true security is when you land deep, deep in yourself and you can land there with another and 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 and, and live that incredible vulnerability with with others. Um, then the security is is really the, the shared heart. The shared heart of humankind, the, the shared earthling nature of all of us. Look at our insanity. The resources under a foot belong to whoever lives above it. How insane. You know, it's, it's it, the, the level of insanity yeah. that we just take for granted. These massive cities that have grown up in Qatar and Dubai and so that, that are cut all based on energy dug up from the ground in a in a in a time and society and culture where where burning fossil fuels fuels is what we need to make ourselves safe comfortable and so forth and we're really still just in a profound spiritual poverty not that we're less evolved than we used to be i mean in many many ways we're growing but our population and our applied technology has so accelerated the mistakes we were always making. There was always a price for false security. Mm. And there always will be. The only true security is deep in your heart and in your shared heart. Mm. That's really touching me. There's always a price for false security. And would that be... The only security is deep in the heart and in the shared heart. Would would that be how you describe intimacy? What a good question. Um, it's really a wonderful question. It's a question that a woman would ask on a podca- <laughs> podcast called Embody. <laughs> um, well, yes, to love, love with another is profoundly intimate in in my particular um, character. Uh, it's that level of intimacy is also profoundly sensual. Um, if we take the word erotic and the word eros, which is the larger word, Greek word for love, it's erotic. It's not, you know, it's not just erotic, but it is all that. It is making, literally hear the words, making love it's it's mm. it's like mm-hmm. making bread growing the grains growing the plant harvesting the grains grinding the grains making the dough baking the dough making bread it's making love when your ears are in your heart with your beloved when your eyes in your heart or in your heart with your beloved, she's not just a woman, she's all women. She's a mystery that has no beginning and end. Likewise, the man in the eyes of the woman. Um, And though I can't get inside Kathy's eyes or any woman's eyes and whatever is the truth of multiple lives, I don't remember being a woman. I just, for me, intimacy is all of that. It's paying the bills. It's raising the family. It's it's understanding that the other is always truly other. 
and that deep inside of each of us is that which brings us together in the most profound way. And finding that togetherness with our bodies is the greatest joy. Oh my goodness, what a way to thank God mm. for being born into human form with this consciousness. I just took a couple of huge deep breaths. It's mm. just, I agree with everything you said and just in my whole body and my whole being. And it's beautiful. Thank you for describing it through the way you feel it. Exactly. And the joy of it, the just absolute wonderment. You know, I couldn't have dreamed this life. I couldn't have dreamed Kathy. I've told her that. I couldn't have dreamed you. Mm. you know? um, and whatever dream I had, I keep waking up into a more profound fullness, emptiness, mystery, richness that really beggars words, except maybe in poetry. Mm. Thank you. Wow, there's there are so many things coming up in me. I just I feel so much love at the moment, and oh. how you're describing your wonderment for life, and it's really beautiful. I'm really grateful. I could, I'm like tears are almost here. It's a direct proportion to the dark. <laughs> yeah, Good. yeah, yeah, and just the way you even talk about paying the bills. Mm -hmm. There's such a sweetness to it. And I also feel the embracing of the dark of sometimes it's not fun at all or it sucks or it's hard. And it's reminding me of being with horses lately. Mm. Um, I love being with horses and they're just calling me and this indivisible world of spirit and heart and body is something that uh, really shows itself to me through the horses. And um, I get that chance to mm. be with the poop, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. the poop and the breathing. They're, you know, when they're just next to me and breathing, or when they walk away from me, or when I desire something and notice it in me, you know, the pressure I'm putting on the situation. There's just so much there that is right in front of me. And uh, it helps me bring that into the rest of life. Um, yeah, and I, I close my eyes and yeah. just try to imagine it. I, I've had only minimal contact with horses, but enough to know intuitively that the relationship you can have with a horse is profound, but it's it's not cerebral. It's not. It's mm -hmm. it's it's whatever is deeply grounded in us in the moment. You know, and in our bodies, at a felt level, they can mirror. And yes, of course, it's they require being cared for. Now, in nature, they they don't require being cared for, but nature mm -hmm. as it is is, you know, our nature has enclosed nature and fenced nature, mm -hmm. and, and it does it all the time. Not just in the metaphor of the plains and and the, the fences and so forth. But 
um, yeah, I, I can see mm-hmm. that, that the horse can teach us to rest in our bodies in the now. And in so doing, come into communion with the horse. And then our bodies becomes extended through the horse. And, and certainly to be, I mean, I've ridden horses, but never with the knowledge that I really knew what I was doing. It was always a utility to, to get into a remote place, to bring the packs in for my soul and space um, wilderness trips that I used to do year after year, mm. just different wildernesses, just taking people there to, to do consciousness work completely alone, you know, relatively unreachable. And those were my small experiences with horses. But mm. I've stood next to them, you know, and just, um, I've watched when a horse just notices you when you're looking and when it really pays attention to you and when it walks over or doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I have that intuition of what you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. And some other things you were saying, Richard, I was thinking about what's going on in Hong Kong right now uh, um, with the extradition bill that China, well, that Hong Kong, that the, the leader of Hong Kong wants to put in place, which, um, and uh, what I'm seeing with all the protests and the, the amount of love that I see in that, where so many Hong Kongers may not be affected by this bill or what happened five years ago with the previous protests, but they're being called to come out and speak up and say no. And say no to another um, fence. Yes. Say no to another fence and another, another idea that could create hurt and repression or someone that repression of the soul's urge to liberation. Yes. And you ask, what what else is there to do but love love? And I have, for myself, have arrived at this place of, well, when I see something happening, when I feel something happening, allow myself to feel it and see what's there for me, see what I'm compelled to do about it, but to really feel the power of my own, my own awareness Mm -hmm. in myself as something that is doing something not that that's the point but deepening in myself has that impact and there's also the other part of me that's like well what do you do with that and um there are a few ideas i have but i wonder if you have any thoughts about all these things that are happening in the world, in our country and in the world, and you've spoke, spoken about the global community that we are, and what do you do with something when you see something that really pains you in the world? Well, you, you feel it. Um, you know, I feel it. I feel... I feel sadness, the, the tears of pain, 
because I I can make an argument for an argument that, that is respectful of the soul for why a law would be passed in terms of creating order and boundary, which might might then allow for a general movement of large populations towards something like less poverty or, you know, I mean, certainly China has elevated so, so many people out of poverty. But the price we pay is always repression. And and so the the people the action you have to take is to be unrepressed in your loving, but not I don't what I mean by that is not oh <laughs> the essence of nonviolence in protest is is love. It's 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 not non nonviolence is 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 a strategy. It's a, and it's a result of an understanding. Uh, to become nonviolent inside of ourselves is the real work. So you have to mm-hmm. do that. You have to learn to be nonviolent inside of yourself. And that's so easy to say, but just watch your thoughts and how violent they can be toward you. Um, how violent they can be toward others, or mildly violent. You know, it doesn't have to be insanely violent, but but to just watch and you, and you get to know that part of you that's ugly, uh, and mm-hmm. and and then you have to love that part of you that's ugly because deep deep down it's trying to protect you. Deep deep down, it was a way of separating you from others because separating differentiation is endless. It's it's it's. It can't stop. And yet the one that we emerge from and the one we're always in is also endless and does not stop. So what do you do is you listen to your heart and then you act in the ways you can act right now. Does that mean that you, because you were born in Hong Kong, would fly to Hong Kong and join the group? It could mean that. It could mean that. But wouldn't it be wonderful if you decided to join that group just because from an impulse that you felt in your heart. And then you noticed, wow, it's amazing. There was a special sale and I got this really low price ticket. And, you know, and I went over there and I was with people and all that happened was my heart opened more and more and more. And there was no enemy. And then, wow, that's irresistible. Mm-hmm. It's irresistible. You know, it, it's like, it's like a, a solvent. It's like water. And the sugar cubes, of even though they look like, like bricks that will you know can't dissolve, but the sugar cubes of identity, of political belief systems, of ideologies, of, of cultures themselves, because a culture may liberate a group of people, but it makes distrust and distance from a different group of people. And society overall which is an attempt to assimilate many cultures, can only do that by having deep, deep, deep principles um, that are very, very hard for anybody to really know. I mean, the dream of democracy is just that. It is a dream. Uh, and it's only as good mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. consciousness of the people who live it. And right now, and it's always been the case, always mm-hmm. from the very beginning of this democracy or any experiment in democracy, um, you, we elect people according to our consciousness, and they run to seduce our consciousness at the level they believe we can be seduced with maybe fear or distrust. Um, and the ones that are too ideal have, have told the ideals so high 
are important, but they can't truly, they can't lead us politically. And the ones that are as, as cynical in some ways as many of the political leaders we have now, and so fear-based in the manipulation, they they are successful because we want to be manipulated by fear yet. We haven't planted mm-hmm. a tree in fear. We haven't sat down inside our fear. We haven't sat down inside our own ugliness and and wait and and and, and silenced ourselves enough to allow the seed of love to grow in, in the the vast, vast fields of fear and grow a new tree and then gradually nourish us. And so we transmute that fear. But but that takes everything we're talking about and it takes a, a practice and a journey. It takes meditation. It takes you know, every practice that gets your energy flowing. It takes um, such tremendous honesty and transparency and vulnerability um, and hard, hard work like any composer like anyone that becomes a neurosurgeon that any like anyone that writes a a book that took every ounce of their gifts and genius and determination it it takes that kind of work on the part of every single human being to the best of their ability every day and it starts with listening to our conversations and the things we listen to that inspire us and the action you take then is the one that's right in front of you and you take mm-hmm. that embodied and in your heart without hope, because it'll always be hope for the wrong thing. The only hope is in your own commitment to love love in yourself and with others. And that's the only hope. And to love love that's transactional, that's, you know, that's you, I'll love you if you love me, even though we deny it often, you know, but it in fact is if you make mm-hmm. me feel good, and then I'll make you feel good. If you start to threaten how I feel, well, then it's your fault. I won't look at why I feel threatened. I won't go into my fears. And and you can see the picture I'm painting, the picture that I think all awakened people have been painting forever, is that, you know, why it's so, you know, it's easier to pass a a businessman through the eye of a needle or a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to to enter the kingdom of heaven by whatever name you want to call it. You know? <laughs> and and um, all deep spiritual movements are radical in the most positive sense of the words. They go to the root of who we really are. And I can't tell anyone what to do. I know what I'm doing right now in the face of my life. I know what I, the minimal that I can do in terms of, of um, things like recycling or how I purchase and, and what I give my money to and things like that, that that matter a little, but collectively can matter a great deal. And unfortunately, the political movement doesn't, no political movement gives us much choice. Um, and right now, maybe in terms of air pollution and cutting back carbon production, a government such as China's, given the population of China, may be actually more effective than a a government like ours in the United States, because we are still per capita the number one or number two polluter, and we are way, you know, China's behind us per capita. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we are no longer giving an example to the world, at, at least at the level of, of the kind of the loudest noise that the media tends to attune to. Um, there, there are millions of people working 
along the lines of what you and I are talking about, and in very practical and grounded ways in so many ways. And there are mm-hmm. millions of people who want to learn and are learning in, in the fields of science to revere this planet. And that's going on also. So the most important thing is if it hurts, feel the pain. Don't try to numb it. Um, and if it's saddening, feel the sadness. Don't try to numb it. Don't make yourself special. Don't become self-involved because you're angry or you're sad or you're disillusioned. That's all self-indulgence. Thank you. Well, I don't know how long our listener would want to sit and listen. And I'm aware (laughs) of the time. And it's not because I have, you know, limited time now. It's just simply in respect of a listener, maybe we should try to wind up. I think so. I think this is a perfect place. Um, Richard, it's been such an honor to have you here and to hear you speak and bring your transmission of, of who you are and what you're interested in. And it's really touched me and I feel, I feel a shift in me even with just this hour of, of conversation with you. It's such a gift. Thank you. I mean, truly, thank you. Truly. Um, it's what we're here for. Yeah. As my wife says, is there a better game in town? <laughs> is there anything you'd not rather? For me. Not for me. And not for me. Thank you so much. Mm. Is there anything else you'd like to say or leave leave things with here? Well, just in terms of, I mean, perhaps you can say, but just in terms of, you know, I'm 72, as many people as I can reach in my work, which is very experiential and really teaches people. That is, it, it, there's a transmission and a teaching that is about what we've been talking about and how to live it. And so I have my YouTube channel, you know, with these just short videos I put up every month. And I have a Facebook I'm beginning to post on Instagram, but, but I also I have my retreats, which people can find uh, at website, at my website, which is www.richardmoss.com. And I work with people individually through Zoom or Skype or um, they come to visit me. And and I work with them with my wife and we work with couples. A tremendous opportunity mm. for couples because I think when two people live this, it's a, it's a much faster path than when one person lives it. And there's always third consciousness, whether you're, you're a you live in a monastery, you, you, there's still God in whatever form you imagine God that becomes your third. And, and there's always community of some kind. Mm. But when two people really side by side want to live this, it's profound. And so, um, you know, and I know just a tiny bit about you from what we said before we recorded. So I'll just say, I hope you get to share this in your life with someone. And, you know, and, Thank you. I believe I do mm-hmm. with with a couple of people actually, mm. and uh, this uh, couple's experience sounds right up right up our alley. Mm. 
Uh, all of it. All of it does. And also, Richard, you have, is it eight books now? Seven. But there'll be an eighth sooner or later. You know, I think when I've, I've had a little more time with, with, uh, I know there'll be a book about, about third consciousness and relationship. It'll probably be a short book. Um, and something about, about really what it means to stop borrowing from the past or the future. Stop, you know, outgrow that and, and land here because mm-hmm. that's where we have a truly new future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so word, that'll come. The word borrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, I can't wait to read both of those. Yeah, the so word I can't, borrow. Really I, can't, I don't know that me. I can't. It's like so poignant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if that I, you know, I, I wrote a book that I think is is good a book about the weaving of psychology and spiritual and spirituality together called The Mandala of Being. That was my next to the last book. And then I realized it could make the methodology of that book a little simpler and speak about a few things and briefly uh, in in my last book, Inside Out Healing. And those books are both in print and, and not hard to find on Amazon uh, or online through mm. basically online. Um the other books, they're, they're, you know, people people find them. Uh, the Black Butterfly, the I that is we, meaning the capital I, this I that is we, which was my very first book, which was published, I guess, in 81 or 82, something like that. And um, when I was a little mm. younger than you are now. So it's been a <laughs> long journey. And uh, wow. thanks, thanks for mentioning the books. Absolutely. Oh, there's also there's there's for in terms of a simple methodology for mindfulness for really deepening in meditation and presence. There's a free there are free e courses on my website, and in fact, I'm talking to someone mm. from the Netherlands soon whose husband for her birthday present gave her a, a, a session with me, and she had been practicing the, the these the free the free e course. Uh, it's based it's based it's based on the mandala of what I call the mandala of being. It's based on that methodology of recognizing thoughts and coming back to the present moment. Mm. That's so beautiful, the connections that you're having with it. Yeah. It is uh, so beautiful. Thank you. It is so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. But you know, and gradually I've, you know, the complainer inside of me has got a comfortable position nearby but doesn't doesn't take the microphone of my heart and soul and voice or feeling very much and all these different parts i've come to understand um they're all they're all welcome inside of me every one of them and um Mm -hmm. and and they all serve me and they all serve all of us it just as you say we we just outgrow and we come to completion in terms of not the end of those voices, but the end of their power in us. Mm-hmm. A harmonious, a harmony within all the parts yes. within, and a love that holds them all. Yes. And everything I'm saying comes from thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of wanting to go deeper, gradually, slowly, intermittently in the early years, and then deeper. And because I've been a teacher, that was a perfect way, in retrospect, to create 
an environment for learning for me as well as for others. We're, we're alike in that. Mm-hmm. In me being a teacher as well and, and also supporting people in their healing or in their journey. The same way I, I read something where you said that um, it's about finding the teacher within. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chance that I got to get as well. That sounds like you've you've gone very deep in and it's uh, bringing the, this joyful conversation here. Thank you so much, Richard. And I'm wishing you the best. You're very, very welcome, Candace. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings to you Blessings. On, on your journey of loving. And may that continue in all its forms. I receive that. Thank you. And I know that what you're saying is also back to you. Thank you. Thank you. This conversation was expansive for me, and I deeply appreciate, Richard, the way that you speak so vulnerably and eloquently, and it feels that you are living in your experience of what you say and uh, what you offer. If you're listening and you enjoyed this, be sure to check out in the next couple of days the uh, meditation that Richard is offering I was delighted with the softness that he offers and brings forward in the meditation and the ways that he described the quality of our awareness and giving space to notice parts of ourselves and what we might name those parts of ourselves. It's a lovely healing experience and meditation, so check that out at candicewoo.com slash richardmoss or subscribe to the podcast and it will drop into you in a couple of days. It hasn't left me yet that uh, I want to visit him and his wife and just spend time with them and see how they live, experience what comes up. Sounds fascinating and like a lovely experience. So if that compels you as well, feel free to check his work out at richardmoss.com. Everything's linked in the show notes as usual, so you can find that at my website. And also be sure to check out other healing experientials, meditations, topics on the podcast around self-love, awareness, healing, and embodiment, all at candacewoo.com slash podcast. Also, if you feel inspired to stay updated with upcoming retreats, events, stuff about horse constellations and meditation, also the updates on my travels and other podcasts, you can sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter at candacewoo.com slash embody. It's been lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Richard, for all of your insight and the years of connecting in with loving for yourself and those around you. And with that, I'll leave you with a quote by Richard that love brings us as close to source as we can be. See you next time on the Embody Podcast. Podcast.